listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is the Pain Pod. You wanna see pain? Look at these. Welcome to the Pain Pod, the podcast for all things pain management. Hosted by the pain guy, Dr. Mark Grofoli. We'll be collaborating with numerous pain management experts, talking about substance usage disorders, the latest treatment modalities, and most important, important. focusing on the pain of our patients as leading providers of pain care. And now, here's our host, a man wanted in all 50 states, a suburban city like Mountain Man, without the beard, from the hills of West Virginia, and certified in weapons of mass destruction response, it's Dr. Mark Garofoli. All right, welcome back, Pain Pod Nation. We are coming at you here with some breaking news on the Pain Pod, of course. So I'm sure, unless anyone's been well under a rock or something, you know, um, you, you were well aware that well, just just a few days ago, uh, the CDC did publish and release uh, the 2022 CDC Opioid Guideline Revision. And that's that's a big one. Um, a lot of folks uh, within the pain realms, within healthcare in general, really been you know uh, anxiously waiting to see uh, what's on the docket, what's coming up. So, you're surely pain guy here. We're gonna I'm gonna review these things here uh, to to break it down for everyone. Because let's be real, uh, the guideline, uh, the actual publication is a hundred pages deep. Whoa, yeah, that'll take some time, right? Um, well, alas. 40 pages are actually the references. So that that's, you know, hey, there's a check plus, right? Tons of references involved, right? So you're down to 60, 60 pages there, right? 60 pages dynamically to read. Or hey, it's what we're here for today, right? Um, and, and lo and behold, you know, in the coming months, years, quite frankly, there'll probably be lots of opportunities out there for uh, various continuing education, uh, presentations, webinars, so on and so forth. But you know, here on the pain pod, I, I want to get you this information now. Why wait for crying out loud? If companies, when you click buttons online, can get you things within hours, pain pod can get it to you pretty darn quick too. So hopefully that's appreciated. Can't tell you how many folks in the last couple of days have been like, hey, pain guy, what, what's the thoughts here? Can you help us out? I don't want to have to spend hours reading the thing. Well, yeah, I've had a couple late lights, uh, making sure to read every word along the way. And uh, we'll we'll do that review here now. Now, obviously, in the coming uh, weeks, months, and so on and so forth, uh, there'll be even more, uh, you know, deeper dissections. But you know, we want to get our, our wrap our heads around the thing here and now. So let's start the journey. Just uh, considering, of course, uh, the original uh, CDC chronic pain opioid guidelines from back in 2016. Title says a lot. You know, honing in on chronic pain, of course. Uh, but uh, you know, right off the bat, uh, we got to think: what what was the intention? It was literally stated in the opening paragraph that hopefully everyone read, right? That it was, uh, it, it, it's for primary care providers, okay? That's it. 
Uh, it was for treating patients that were at least 18 years of age with chronic pain. Again, like the title said, chronic pain, primary care. Uh, outpatient settings, of course, and it was stated to not be aimed at active cancer treatment, palliative care, uh, and end-of-life care along the way. Now, although at the time, uh, the, the intentions there were certainly extrapolated, well, quite farther, obviously, of course. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? Well, let's, uh, you know, back in 2016, there, there was, oh, I believe it was about seven or eight, I think it was eight, uh, what, it, what it, we'd probably call guidelines of influence uh, for those guidelines overall, the, the 2016 CDC chronic pain opioid guidelines. And one thing, uh, you know, the primary author of the 2016 CDC guidelines, uh, of course, Dr. Deborah Dowell, um, uh, carrying on over into the 2022 guidelines as well, too, certainly with some expansions along the way, even within other professions. Uh, but Dr. Dowell, of course, uh, was one of the people involved with one of those uh, guidelines of influence along the way from New York City, basically. Uh, it was the 2011 New York City uh, Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. Um, those guidelines for pain overall, that, that's where some of those primary components were coming from, amongst many other studies, too, when we're thinking about the cautionary levels uh, for morphine milligram equivalent or MME factors along the way. You know, some interesting tidbits along the way for everybody. Uh, but those, uh, you know, the 2016 CDC guidelines uh, for, for chronic pain, opioid utilization, there was three big groupings. There was the opioid use decision grouping, the first three uh, recommendations. And then uh, recommendations uh, four, five, six, and seven were kind of along the lines of the type, the amount, the initial, and the duration of the opioid utilization. And then recommendations 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, the final five, uh, were really all about the uh, reduction of the risks or harms of opioid utilization overall. Uh, things like, um, you know, naloxone education, prescription drug monitoring program or PDMP utilization, urine drug testing, um, watching out with benzos and opioids being combined, uh, and of course, offering uh, MAT or medications for addiction treatment or medication assistant treatment uh, for opioid use disorder. Not much changing in the big picture when we're thinking about from 2016 to 2022, particularly with those last five ideas there. One of the big, probably the one of the biggest things really common from those 2016 guidelines were uh, the the what was said to be the the come one come all. Uh, he, this is where we go for our MME factors because previously there was a lot of uh, different. And, and even to this day, there's different MME factors out there. Um, and, and that's certainly concerning when we're talking about math and dosages for uh, uh, pain medications, particularly prescription opioids, obviously. Uh, so that, that's something to keep in mind there. One of the things, uh, a contentious one perhaps was with methadone. Uh, it was an increasing MME factor. So the higher the dose of methadone, the higher the MME factor, which can certainly get confusing for any and all clinicians alike, of course. More to come on that when we jump into 2022. But big picture, all right? Um, and I'm sure everyone's aware of this, but just to kind of cover it in the big picture here, uh, since those guidelines were released in March of 2016 to present day, drug overdose deaths have skyrocketed, quite frankly. Um, it, it, it's, it's a big thing to keep in mind. Uh, we have easily hit the six-figure mark where um, over 100,000 Americans die of a drug overdose uh, annually in our country. Now, that could also be uh, whittled down to the idea, you've probably heard me say it often, of uh, an American dies of a drug overdose 
uh, every six minutes. And a baby is born dependent, not addicted to, dependent uh, to opioids specifically every half hour. Lost in the shuffle in the background. And you'll hear this differently from a lot of different folks out there. Uh, there's this perception that, well, uh, prescription opioids are, are uh, per, said to be no longer uh, involved uh, to a great amount uh, in drug overdoses in our country. And that's, yeah, I kind of look at the data a little bit more. Um, there was a plateau. Uh, it's not saying no longer. It's saying it plateaued around 14, 15, 16,000 or so uh, overdose deaths a year involving prescription opioids. Now, a uh, big disclaimer there, of course, though, is that prescription opioids dis prescribed and dispensed from healthcare, or are they things that are illicitly manufactured and put into uh, rogue pill uh, products? Mm. Juries out there, of course. Um, not something necessarily distinguished on uh, morgue reports overall. All right, so that's you know from 2016 guideline to the to the present day, what's been going on, uh, and now we have the 2022. Uh, CDC opioid guideline update. Uh, the general overall idea was uh, pretty much starting back in 2018. Uh, so about two years after the, the previous guideline uh, to formulate a, a plan and then an opioid work group and then a public opinion or comment period. And then the release of the guidelines uh, here, here for 2022. Uh, now of note, the opioid work group had uh, a good number of folks on it. I think over two dozen. Uh, there was one pharmacist. Uh, and on a previous episode here of the Pain Pod, we did have one of the primary authors of the 2022 CDC opioid guideline update, um, uh, Dr. Chris Jones. And a um, great conversation. I encourage everybody to, to go back to that. Check that out. Uh, there's a lot going on in the world, a lot going on in healthcare. Um, I, I think most of us would probably stick to our, our, our thoughts here and say, you're going to have more than two dozen healthcare professionals at the table for a guideline concentrating on a medication. Probably want to have more than one pharmacist, right? Want, want. All right. So all that being said, uh, guidelines uh, had their public comment period, and now they have been released. Uh, things to keep in mind here. You know, there was guiding principles of uh, you know expanding uh, scope overall. So you know, the question I've already been getting a lot, and I'm sure a lot of you have been getting, answering, or at least thinking as well. Um, the, there was the you know what's been updated. Big picture got about four, five, six things here. Um, settings. So now it's stated to be uh, beyond primary care, uh, even including managed care in a way of a very specific statement saying to, to not be utilizing limits uh, within uh, the, the you know, prescription opioid coverage process overall, but well beyond primary care to pretty much be just about everybody in healthcare. Uh, there's also been the expanded time frame. So previously it was a chronic pain opioid guideline. Now it's acute, subacute, and chronic. So pretty much everything. Acute, they're saying, uh, you know, less than a month. Subacute saying from that one to three month period, and then chronic being uh, three months or greater. Uh, give or take or day or so there, right? And then additionally, there was an inclusion of specific pain conditions. So things like osteoarthritis, various uh, neuropathic pain in general, uh, specific things like diabetic peripheral neuropathy, fibromyalgia, post-herpetic neuralgia. And, and it's interesting because, um, you know, that's further, but there's already specific guidelines for those things out there by very reputable organizations. So there's that. Um, restated here in the 2022 update uh, that this is not addressing palliative care 
cancer-related pain, nor sickle cell-related pain. It's incredibly important to keep in mind for our patients out there. Now, a huge update was uh, the blatant statement saying, please avoid rapid opioid tapers. Okay, that, that's a big thing there, all right? Um, they're, they're, they have multiple references showing uh, the negative consequences of rapid opioid tapers. Um, also, in general, saying, hey, it's not like everybody needs a taper, but when you taper, it's gradual. We'll go over some numbers in a moment. Um, last but not least involved uh, the infamous MME concerns like we already touched on, uh, but there was a, a massaging of the MME limits or thresholds, the wording overall, and then there was also an updated methadone MME factor. We'll get to in another hot second, of course. So that's our like five or six like big updates overall, um, you, you know, but we want to dive deeper, of course, along the way. So dive in deeper. Uh, there, there's 12 recommendations again. Uh, but there's four sections this time, not three. So the first section uh, would be determining whether or not to initiate opioids for pain. And then the second and third section are kind of, they've been dissected into two instead of one, basically. The second section uh, now is the opioid selection and dosage. And then the third section is opioid initial duration and follow-up. Uh, those used to be grouped together. Now they're basically just separate. And fourth section in the update is assessing risk and addressing potential harms of opioid use. Nothing changing there necessarily in the big picture. We still have those 12 recommendations now in four groups instead of three. So let's jump through the 12 recommendations. So, you know, section one here, uh, it, it's really, uh, you know, just talking about, again, whether or not to initiate opioids for pain. Uh, and recommendation one, uh, the essence of it is basically saying that non-opioid therapies are at least effective as opioids for many common types of acute pain. So this is a big update. Now it's including acute pain. Pretty profound statements. Now it would take us hours to dissect every little part of these, uh, this recommendation and all the, the constituents within. Um, but I'm just going to pick one. One that was near and dear is near and dear to me. Uh, you know, pain guy, I, I had a COVID kidney stone at the very beginning of the COVID pandemic, and that was a three month ordeal that should have been three weeks, but alas, here we are. So I'm going to hone in on the acute care, the recommendations, uh, and references for the acute care of nephrolithiasis or kidney stones. So there was, uh, um, basically an AHRQ review article of 183 randomized controlled trials, RCTs, uh, looking into a different acute pain scenarios. So that's a lot of trials. I uh, included about 2000 patients uh, with specifically with kidney stone pain. So, so far we're sounding pretty good, right? All right. So eight of those 183 trials, again, that's the ones with 2000 patients uh, in, involved uh, opioids uh, in the realm of acute kidney stone pain. One trial had morphine, seven trials had meperidine. And it's not really utilized a lot here in the States. There is a little bit of a, a conundrum right there. Uh, the NSAIDs were compared. One trial was endomethacin, four of them were ketorolac, and three were diclofenac. So got some variety with NSAIDs, of course. And when it comes to kidney stone pain, ketorolac is certainly a champion there. Um, the summary from those eight trials with 2,000 patients was that uh, opioid therapy was probably less effective than NSAIDs for kidney stone pain and definitely less effective than acetaminophen. Say what? Yeah. That's what was concluded. Well, let's dive a little deeper here. Since Bang Guy had a kidney stone once. Well, the those studies, they all involved a single dose inpatient IV therapy. 
these guidelines have a scope for outpatient care. That's a party foul in a, in a study review. How can we be looking at single dose IV therapy and then extrapolating that into what we would utilize for outpatient care? Think about that. That that's a big one there. All right. Um, here on the pain power, we're going to go through all the goods, bads, all the perceptions, all that as far as guidelines overall. But think about that. Okay. Might want to even listen to that one again. Take the last like three minutes and re-listen to that one. Might be worth it, right? <laughs> All right, but we'll go onward. So uh, recommendation two is that non-opioid therapies are preferred for subacute and chronic pain. So some folks might be a little bit uh, newer to that whole subacute thing. It's basically what's in between acute and chronic pain. Okay, Not, nothing too revolutionary there. Um, but within that, uh, there was that's where we, in the second recommendation was where we were getting into the whole uh, idea of uh, the guidelines really propelling the coverage of non-opioid um, pain management treatment options on insurance coverages. Very profound and very important when you think about it. Um, that, that's a big one. And then we had the whole uh, dissecting down to uh, what's recommended for OA or osteoarthritis, neuropathic pain, fibromyalgia, diabetic peripheral neuropathy or DPN, and then post-herpetic neuralgia or PHN. I, lo and behold, it's usually, it's a big picture guide in this case of looking at what was FDA approved so nothing revolutionary there. And then really what's readily available in the guidelines that we um, all hopefully deploy in our patient care uh, practices these days. But at least, you know, getting some uh, headwind here on incorporating individual medical conditions in the pain management realm. But again, there's guidelines out there for those specifically. Then um, the third recommendation of the 2022 update, nothing really new here compared to the last um, um, guideline overall, but the bottom line of, you know, when starting opioid therapy for acute, subacute, or even chronic pain, clinicians should utilize immediate release or IR uh, formulations before extended release or long-acting your ER, LA opioids. Nothing necessarily very new there. We've already had that drum banging for a number of years now. Kind of possibly simpler or similar, I should say, for recommendation four in the update here as well, too with what I would just call the start low, go slow. So, you know, what they're saying is when opioids are initiated for opioid naive patients with acute, subacute, or even chronic pain, clinicians should prescribe the lowest effective dose. You know, it sounds like common sense to a certain degree, but, you know, deploying it into patient care is a whole nother can of beans, of course. Uh, so it's really the general idea of start low, go slow. Um, but... Within this recommendation is some of the meat and potatoes. This is where the MMEs float their way back in again, too, of course. And what do I mean by that, you say? Well, um, there was statements there saying uh, that many patients do not experience benefit in pain or function uh, from increasing opioid dosages to greater than or equal to 50 MMEs per day, uh, but are exposed to progressive increases in uh, the risk uh, overall as dosage increases. So that's, you know, it's it's kind of like massaging it. Uh, there's that cautionary level again of the 50. So we got to keep that in mind. Uh, they go on to say in this update, though, that the lowest starting dose for opioid naive patients is often equivalent to a single dose of approximately 5 to 10 MMEs or a daily dosage of 20 to 30 MMEs per day. Now, that's a rather practical statement when you think about it. Now, every medical condition and medical scenario out there of pain is not going to be treated exactly like the one previous or the one ahead, right? Um, all, all patients are different. All conditions are there. But in a practical sense, 
the the statement of saying you know five to ten mmes for one dose with an overall daily dose of 20 to 30 mmes per day we we you know we can kick that down to what products are available so there we're talking something like even like an oxycodone five uh, as an individual dose, you know, not starting with a 10 or a 15 uh, morphine right along the same lines, um, you know, starting with, with uh, the lower doses, not going up to 15 or 30 immediately, depending on the scenario, of course, but in generality uh, and even our, you know, our things like uh, Tylenol with Cody and the T3s fitting right in there as well, too. Um, you know, so on and so forth. It, it, it's a very practical statement overall. Not going to work in every case, but at least practical, right? So, you know, kudos in that regard there. Well, on the other side of the coin, uh, as far as the MME factors that were listed, the we'll call it the chart of MME factors for the 2022 CDC opioid guideline update. Um, nothing too huge as far as differences with the exception of methadone. Okay. It went from that whole uh, 4, 8, 10, 12, uh, every, we'll say 20 milligrams of actual medication dose, uh, the, the increasing or exponential uh, MME factor for methadone. Now, all of a sudden, it's just 4.7. Yep. Went from either being 4, 8, 10, or 12, depending on the dose, uh, to being 4.7. You heard that right. I read that right. That's what it says. Well, let's dive a little bit deeper there, shall we? So yours really did, did what we'll call, we'll say a journal club on there. That caught my eye. And I thought, well, you know, I've always been a, a fan of being a logical pharmacist. If you look at the products that are available, you know, the most commonly utilized uh, methadone dosage would be methadone 10 milligram tablets. What if the MME factor was simply four? Uh, well, well, in the 2016 guidelines and many others really too, as far as MME factor charts, um, that, that's the lowest one. Well, if you have a 10 milligram tablet and multiply it by four, you're already at 40, which is almost at the 50 cautionary threshold limit massaged level, right? Um, we got to keep that in mind in the big picture, but now magically it's 4.7. Where did that come from? Ah, we looked that one up, right? Uh, so 2016 was a the, the reference that was utilized for that. An article from 2016, it's basically a review article. So when reviewing that one, when the statement said that the, the MME factor for methadone was 4.7, the reference for that was from 2008. Time out. The reference that says it was an MME factor 4.7 is from 2008. That's eight years prior to the previous guideline of 2016. Where was that, pray tell? In 2016. Hmm? Think about that. Of note, and this one, I hope you're sitting, don't use the edge of the seat like we always do for pain pod listenings. Use the whole seat. Um, that that had no statistical significance. Yeah. So it's a, it's a reference from 2008, eight years before the previous guideline. And uh, that statement of 4.7 had no statistical significance. I kid you not, folks. This is why we look things up, okay? Let's learn from the 90s and look things up, all right? Now, again, uh, the utilization is uh, MME factors are everywhere. What's better? You know, the, it's a circular conversation. That particular one, though, I, I can't wait to share with you. Uh, so that, that's a big thing there to keep in mind overall. Okay. Um, now, when, when uh, you know, going through things as far as MMEs, uh, I think we've discussed in previous pain products episodes, uh, you know, there's a lot of potential limitations, if not outright limitations. There's patient variability, there's conversion estimates, you know, the dose response curves concentrating respiratory depression compared to analgesia. 
bioavailability, variability amongst formulations, you know, same medication, different formulations, what we got going on there, the whole mixed action opioid uh, differences there, you know, it, it, are the effects coming from the opioid effect, the mu effect, or, uh, you know, serotonin, norepinephrine, and so on and so forth. Uh, the MME factor chart in the 2022 CDC update actually addresses that uh, when they're, when specifically when they're talking about tepentadol, uh, and also tramadol, the cousins there. Uh, so that that's certainly a good thing. That was brought up. Uh, methadone has always been a, an interesting little one there. Uh, you know, previously in the 2016 guidelines, we had that whole exponential increase. So at one point, when, when you went from 60 milligrams to 61 milligrams, it was an increase of 132 MMEs. Well, that didn't quite make sense either. And now we have 4.7 from a, a no statistical significance study from 2008. Ay, ay, ay. But again, folks, let, let's be fair to all sides here. Even if it's four, that escalates quickly, right? All right, onward to the next recommendation. So next recommendation, of course, is recommendation five. And this one is where they're basically saying um, if tapering, italics, bold, underlined, the two letters of IF, if tapering, only going gradual. Blatantly saying the, the need to taper is not always present. But when it is, you go gradual. I'm sure by now you're thinking about, I don't know, maybe a, a beverage commercial that says, I don't always whatever, but when I do. That's what I'm thinking here. It, I don't know. We no one always tapers, but when you do, only gradual. That's the essence of recommendation five. All right, on to recommendation six um, of twelve. Here we're at halftime almost. Uh, when opioids are needed for acute pain, clinicians should prescribe no greater than the quantity needed for the expected duration. Well, I keep that in mind. Um, you know, uh, uh, not prescribing for three, four weeks or, you know, the age old bottles of 120 pills when really maybe a half a dozen or a dozen may have been sufficient. Right. Um, and, and I will say, though, that the references, what, what usually comes up with that is there's an inference that, oh, a longer initial duration of a prescription uh, for a prescription opioid in the outpatient setting would lead to, you know, increasing risks of uh, opioid use disorder. That's not what uh, the studies show. It's There'll be an increased probability of continuing the use or chronic utilization. Those are different things, obviously, but I want to include that here for you, of course. All right, recommendation seven, our, our last one here before jumping into the risk reduction strategy. So uh, clinicians should uh, evaluate benefits and risk with patients within one to four weeks of starting opioid therapy for a subacute or chronic pain or of dosage escalation. Uh, so here we're really, you know, talking about the, the big picture thing there of, you know, checking back in. All of our lives change. We're, we're dynamic. We're humans. Uh, so following up, um, you know, with our patients there. Certainly an obvious thing, but an important thing to include. All right. So jumping into the, the risk reduction strategies, the, the last section there, um, you know, addressing potential harms of opioids. Uh, first thing uh, with recommendation eight is, um, you know, the concept of opioid risk screenings, essentially. Uh, and then also um, they, it's stated offering naloxone. Uh, I think it's an extrapolation easily to say at least offering naloxone education. Those are two big things there, all within one recommendation. Really probably could have been two separate recommendations when you think about it, but you know, do we need 12 or a baker's dozen tomato tomato, right? Uh, but recommendation eight is the whole opioid risk assessments uh, and then also naloxone education. We could talk about those for hours, but let's get through the, the overall guidelines here for you, right? All right. So recommendation nine uh, involves, of course, prescription drug monitoring programs or PDMPs. Nothing new here, actually. 
little bit different wording compared to 2016. Uh, it's basically saying when prescribing, and of course, by association, corresponding risk, um, corresponding responsibility, I should say, dispensing as well, uh, in PDMP review initially, and now it said periodically. Later in the document, it says a minimum of every three months. Back in 2016, it said initially and every three months. Now it says initially and periodically. Later in the document, it says a minimum every three months. Best practices, every patient, every time, right? So that's what we take from that overall. All right, 10th recommendation. We're cranking out, right? Uh, basically, uh, uh, when prescribing opioids for subacute or chronic pain, clinicians should consider the benefits and risk of to toxicology testing. So we're basically talking about urine drug testing, if not urine drug screening. Um, I, we're actually going to go deeper into this particular topic, urine drug monitoring overall, both screening and testing. We'll hit that up probably next month, okay? Um, Because that's a big one. That's a big one. It's all throughout society, even for people getting jobs and whatnot there. Um, but if you notice this recommendation, when I when I mentioned it to you, didn't include acute. It actually said subacute and chronic pain. So keep that in mind overall for the urine drug monitoring. All right. Uh, recommendation 11 of 12. Clinicians should use particular caution when prescribing opioid pain medication and benzodiazepines concurrently. And the whole risk benefit thing, right? Basically, if you have a pulse and a healthcare license in any given state, you got to know that an opioid and a benzo is a sedative drug interaction. We know that. The trickiest, trickiest part, though, is addressing that, especially with uh, legacy or grandfathered in patients that have been utilizing uh, the two, if not more, for years, if not decades. That's a tough situation, right? Can you hear me? Of course, right? Uh, everyone could agree there. It's how you go about it that matters. But things to keep in mind in the background. Uh, there are studies out there, and even the conservative ones would say that uh, the relative risk of overdose death rates uh, can go either 2x, 3x, or even 5x. So let's just go with the one in the middle. We'll say the overdose death rates can triple when an opioid is utilized with a benzo compared to just the opioid alone. So keep that in mind for our conversations with our patients or our hopeful conversations with our patients. All right, last recommendation, number 12, right? Regular dozen, no baker's dozen. Uh, clinicians should offer or arrange treatment with evidence-based medications to treat patients with opioid use disorder. So, I, you know, it's, it's kind of separating out the idea of OUD or opioid addiction uh, compared to pain management, even though obviously we have patients that need uh, help with both. Uh, but it's saying, you know, when that time comes or when it's presented, we got to help people. Uh, and we want to, just like everything else in healthcare, use evidence-based uh, practices and medications in this case. Uh, so there we're obviously talking about uh, the, the three FDA-approved agents of methadone, naltrexone, or buprenorphine. Much more to come in subsequent uh, pain pod episodes talking about those medications overall. But folks, uh, we seem to have come to uh, the conclusion of the summary there of the 12 recommendations within the four sections of the 2022 CDC opioid guideline update. I hope this helps you in your patient care yesterday. All right. Uh, that's why we wanted to get this episode out there. Breaking news uh, when it comes to an epic moment in uh, pain management in patient care overall, education overall, managed care overall, every fast of society, quite frankly. Now, the CDC uh, in this update did uh, identify areas of additional research. So perhaps in a couple of years, we'll have another update or at least more information along the way as well, too. Uh, I, I always uh, recommend everybody to keep abreast of all these topics. 
Uh, feel free to share this pain pod episode far and wide. Listen to it repeatedly if uh, wanted, of course. Uh, but this is a big one, folks. Uh, the 2022 CDC opioid guideline update is, is a big one, obviously. Or we wouldn't even be doing this pain pod episode. So I hope this really helps everyone. And I certainly invite you back for our next episode. I will say next month uh, when we dive deeper into even one of these recommendations, the whole uh, urine toxicology or we'll say urine drug monitoring overall. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in, downloading, and listening to this episode of The Pain Pod, where we tackled the 2022 CDC opioid guideline update. I hope this helps you all the time, and I wish you all a great day every day. If you'd like to join Mark on The Pain Pod, send us an email to publisher at pharmacypodcast.com. And make sure to share the show and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. Thanks for listening.